Well, good morning. My name is Trevor Miller. I'm the family pastor here at the church, and it's a blessing to be able to spend time with y'all here this morning. I'm really, really glad you've showed up, showed up this morning to church. 11 years ago, um, this happened. I want to show you a picture of this event. Boom. 11 years ago, uh, June 8, 2008, at approximately 6.53 a.m., this took place on the shores of Tybee Island, Georgia. Now, there's a lot of history behind what took place on that particular day because all before this took place, Jen and I had been dating for about a year, and I knew I want to marry this woman. Like, this is the one I want to be with. And so in preparation for this, at the time, I was the middle school youth pastor here at the church. So I began to save my youth pastor pennies for a long time. Those dang things are expensive. So I had, to, I had to save my money and start putting it together to buy this ring. I bought a ring, and I was so excited about being able to ask her to be my wife. And so we had already planned a trip to Tybee Island, Georgia, to celebrate my grandparents' 50th anniversary. So I called them. I said, hey, listen, um, I want to honor you guys. If you're willing, while we're at the beach, could I ask Jenna to marry me while we're all there together? They said, oh, that'd be wonderful. So that was the plan. So we showed up there, and I brought a bottle with me, and um, this empty glass bottle that I would uh, found somewhere, and then I wrapped a blue rope around the end of it. My parents, the night before, went out, and they buried it in the sand on the beach, and all the blue rope, except for a little tail end sticking out of the, out of the sand. Inside of the glass bottle was a note that said, this is so embarrassing, <clears throat> if you're reading this note, you must have a man, close your eyes and hold out your hand. I wrote it myself. So, <laughs> you know, these things got to be special. So I went all out. So I put this note inside of the bottle. We buried it in the sand. Everything was cool. And so I went back. We slept that night. We woke up the next morning. Jenna loves to walk on the beach. I'm like, hey, let's walk on the beach. She's like, hey, cool. So we walked down the beach. and We're walking around. All of a sudden, we come up on this little blue piece of rope sticking out of the sand. I'm like, hey, what is that? She's like, I don't know. I was like, why don't you pull it? And if you know my wife, she's like, I'm not pulling that. I'm not doing it. I'm like, well, please just pull the rope. You're ruining this whole thing. So. She started pulling, the bottle popped out, she read it, and I'll never forget, my palms were so sweaty, I was standing behind her, you saw the picture just a second ago, my sister was out there talking to her boyfriend on the phone, not really, taking pictures of the whole thing, and I remember when she turned around, I said, and I got down on my knee, and I had the ring in my hand, I said, Jenna Owens, will you marry me? Whew, I was so nervous, and even to tell you the story right now, and even to show you this picture, you can't fully appreciate what it was like to stand on that beach and to feel the sweaty palms, the, the lump in my throat, my heart pounding in my chest, the warm embrace afterwards as she said yes. Because for someone to tell you about something, an experience they had, I mean, to, to hear about it is a whole different kind of thing than actually being involved in it. Here's the truth in life. If you are going to observe something, it's always better to participate in something. It's better to participate than rather just to observe Otherwise, you're hearing someone's secondhand story, and otherwise, it's kind of lost in translation exactly what it was like. It's like someone uh, watching TV to see their team won, win a big game. If you're a Gamecock fan, we're still waiting for this. And so he's watching on TV and then being at the stadium as it goes down, and people are going crazy. It's a totally different experience. It's like someone says, hey, I've been to the Grand Canyon. Let me tell you how big it was. It was so big. It was like this. They show you a picture, but to actually stand there on the edge of it and its grandeur and how huge it is, you can't express that. It's like someone trying to tell you about when their first baby was born and holding that baby in the hospital. I mean, it's nothing like actually being there and, and, and holding that baby in your hands when it's born. Participation is always better than observation. And truth is this, one of our core values as a church is participation over observation because we believe with all of our hearts that church is not a spectator sport. Church is not a spectator sport. 
The church is not something that you just attend, that you, that you show up to. Our prayer would be, as you come here on a Sunday morning, you don't just come here for an hour and a half with your backside in the chair, but instead you see this as a place to invest your life. That's the goal. Because some things in life are better participated in than they are observed. You see, the church as a whole, the big C church, worldwide, global church, by and large, has become a place where people come to sit in the stands and to applaud at the end and just watch what takes place. That was never really the intention of this whole thing. In fact, in the West, church, many individuals and families see church now as a place where it's a consumer culture. We come and we ask questions like, well, do they play the songs I like? Was the pastor funny? I hope so. How far did I have to park from the door to get into the building? Did they fix my kid? They talk too much about money? And it's a, it's a consumer culture, but instead the church was intended to be a place where people come and instead of consume, they, they contribute. That's what church should be. Church is not something we attend. It's not something you show up to. It's not something that you come to on a Sunday. Church is something that we do. And this is a really big distinction. And this distinction has to be made, especially over these next few weeks, because what we want to talk about is the fact that any given Sunday, if there are people who don't see this as something to just to come to and see and watch, but instead participate in, some people's lives could change. If we see Sunday as not just a day in the week, but a place that we come to to pour ourselves out, we can see people's lives be transformed. You could be a part of their story. And here's why I'm convinced this core value Participation over observation is so important and should be reiterated over and over and over again. Because for a lot of us, our lives get so segmented, compartmentalized. And for a lot of us, we have like our family life. This is this thing over here, our family life. Then, then we have our work life and it's separate from that thing. And then we also have this school life or dating life. And so much wish we had a dating life, a marriage life. And maybe we have a spiritual life somewhere mixed up in all of that. And the problem with this kind of viewpoint, that we have all these segmented pieces and parts, then of course church would be something that you observe and not participate in. Because there's so many areas of our life to give attention to. It's way easier just to show up on a Sunday, check that box, and go to Moe's. Am I right? Because if we see our life as all these different pieces and parts segmented, separate from one another, then we have to decide who gets what piece, how much energy do we place into each one. But I believe that how we do our work, how we go to school, how we play sports, how we love our families, how we recreate, everything is how we love God. It is all connected. This is why you never see Jesus talk about in the gospel someone's spiritual life. Because to Jesus, it was all spiritual. It was all connected. This is why Jesus never talks to the disciples like, hey guys, y'all come in a small group later on? Because when we get a small group, then we'll talk about like spiritual stuff. But for right now, we're just like hanging out fishing. Jesus doesn't do that. You don't see him feed the 5,000 like, hey guys, it's been a great time and you really enjoyed the meal. Come on to church. Hopefully I'll see you on Saturday. Jewish Saturday. Anyways, long joke. Sunday. Come back and hang out with us. Jesus doesn't have these kind of conversations with people. And you know why? Because to them, church, spiritual life was not something that happened separate from everything else. Church was life. It was all connected for them. And when church is some other kind of category, then of course we would just come and observe. Of course we wouldn't come and participate. Because it's something that we just come and see, not something that we actually do. But at the heart of Jesus, in the New Testament, almost everything he says is an invitation. Jesus is constantly inviting those in the New Testament to come and be a part of something really great. Here's what he says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. 
He says, come, follow me. Jesus said, I will send you out and make you fishers of men. What's the first word? Come, come follow me. Matthew 19, verse 21, Jesus answered, if you wanna be perfect, go sell your possessions and give them to the poor and then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. In Matthew 11, verse 28, he says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? Rest. That sounds good, doesn't it? At the heart of everything Jesus says in the New Testament is an invitation to you and to me. In fact, 22 times in the New Testament alone, Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. Come, follow me. Here's why. Because in the New Testament, these words, come follow me, basically was suggesting that those who would take Jesus up on that offer would become disciples. They would come and follow this rabbi to learn how to do what this rabbi does. Not just come and watch, but come and be a part of what he was doing because they in turn would do it themselves. That was the goal. And so when they did church together, each and every day, no matter where they were, on the side of a lake, up in a mountain, wherever it was, when they did church together, they were watching the rabbi not to just witness, not to just observe, but to participate. And this was key for Jesus because he knew one day his life was gonna go to the cross. He would give it up and one day he would ascend to heaven and he would hand off this entire kingdom of God to who? The church. This is plan A, people, not plan B. This is what Jesus always intended. In fact, he said in the scriptures, it's good that I go because you will do greater things than me. How is that even possible? How does Jesus even come off like saying like that? You're gonna do greater things than I have done. Well, look at it. We've gone from 12 disciples to a worldwide movement that is changing people's lives. There are disciples, hundreds and thousands and millions of disciples who have taken Jesus up on this offer to be a disciple, to come and follow him. And here's the key. Disciples don't watch. Disciples do. If you consider yourself a disciple today, a follower of Jesus, disciples don't watch. Disciples do. Years ago, we decided in this church that we would define for our people what a disciple is. And a disciple is someone who's living under the rule and reign of Jesus each and every day, learning what it looks like to live under his rule and his reign. That's a disciple, a learner and a doer, always paying attention because we might have the opportunity to get into the game and we're looking for it. If you played sports, anybody play sports in here, like middle school, high school or anything? I played football for like eight years of my life and I loved every minute of it. But there was always that one kid, when you would do drills, whatever sport it was, there's always that one kid in line. Everybody else is watching what's happening. The coach is coaching. As soon as you get your turn, you're gonna do the drill. But there's always that one kid who's not paying any attention at all. You know what I mean? Maybe you were that kid. You're like looking around, you're having conversations with people and it gets to your turn and the coach is like, okay, now you do it. And they're like, I have no idea what we're doing. And you're like, what is your problem? You've been in this line for like five minutes. Just watch the person in front of you. Or you go to DMV, and all of a sudden it's that person's turn, like, oh, I didn't know what I was doing. I'm like, what are you talking? You came here for a reason. Or you're like ordering ice cream, and it finally gets to that person, like, oh, I didn't even look at the menu. I'm like, you've been standing here for 10 minutes, and it's huge right there. It's your turn. Do it. When we come on a Sunday morning, when we read scripture for ourselves, when we spend time praying with God, this is not a spectator sport. Because here's why. Everyone in the room, we have an opportunity to get into the game. We better be paying attention. Because it might be our turn. 
And when it becomes our turn, Jesus is saying, take this mantle, this kingdom of God, now you run with it. Now you be a part of it. Because any given Sunday, maybe even today, could be an opportunity for someone to have a changed life and for you to be a part of somebody's story. Now I wanna be clear, some of you in the room, maybe this is your first time here today and you're like, whoa, I didn't know what I was getting into today. If it's your first time here, you just started coming and checking things out, great. Observe. Take it all in. See if this is something that you want to be a part of. What God's doing here is something I want to invest in. But for some of us in this room, we've been at this church for 30 years. Some of you in this room have been in Sunday school since you were in diapers. You could give this sermon today because you've heard every sermon five times. But some of us in the room, we know everything we can possibly know, but some of us in this room are not taking that information and applying it to our life and actually begin to live it out. And here's what I found to be true, because it's true in my life. When I was in college, I had grown up in the church. I'd been in church like every time the doors were open with my family, and I loved it. I loved church. But I came all the way through church. I heard all these sermons. I heard all this stuff, and I finally got into college, and I started realizing, you know what? I've never actually done this stuff. I hear about it all the time. But I've never actually applied it into my life. And what I found was, as soon as I began to do that, I found new levels of spiritual maturity in my life that I'd never experienced before. I found myself be challenged in ways I'd never been challenged before. I found myself growing in ways I'd never grown before. So I want to be very clear this morning. I would love for every person in this room who's not plugged in in some place within this church, I would love for everybody to be like, I want to get plugged in. And not because we want anything from you. We want something for you. There's something that happens when we begin to get into the game, to see Sunday not as something that we come to, but church as something that we do. There's something that happens in the lives of people and something that happens within our life as well. And this is why James, the author of the New Testament, in James chapter one, verse 22, gives us a warning, a command. He says this, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Don't just listen to the words of God, do what it says. And here's why. Otherwise, we deceive ourselves. There might be some of us who come to church on Sunday morning because we show up, we feel like, I'm a disciple. I'm someone who's following Jesus. But the definition of a disciple is not someone who comes and watch. A disciple is someone who does. Don't just be hearers of the word only, but be doers of the word. Put it into practice. I think you might be amazed by what takes place. When I was in high school, I had moved to Indiana. I'd been a part of different churches kind of growing up and everything. But when I got to Indiana, this small United Methodist rural church in Lafayette, Indiana, I started coming and, and checking things out. My family had grown up there for a long time. In fact, when I was young, I had lived there before. And there was a lady there named Karen McGarry, and she was my youth pastor. And I'll never forget from the very first time that I showed up at this church, Karen saw something within me that I didn't see myself. She saw a gifting and an anointing within me that I could not see myself. She saw potential that I could not see myself I remember she said, listen, you play guitar, right? I'm like, yeah. And you sing, right? I'm like, no. She's like, you sing, right? I was like, maybe. So I want you to start figuring out how to sing while you play the guitar. And then I want you to lead worship for, for everybody that comes to youth group. I'm like, that is a daunting task, but okay. So I started learning to play guitar. I started learning to sing. And I started leading worship for my youth group. She was the one who encouraged me to give my first sermon ever when I was in high school. It was the worst thing you've ever heard in your entire life. And I walked away being like, wow, that was a hot mess. But she was the one who encouraged me to do it, to get into the Bible and find out what God was saying so I could express it to somebody else. And she encouraged me to do that. 
She found other adults in the church who had the same passions that she had, seeing potential in the lives of students, not just me, but all of us. So there are people like Ned and Brenda Dickerson, and people like Vicki Leiniger, people like Beth Plybon, and Brian and Carla White. These were individuals as I was growing up who were investing in my life over and over and over again. And believe me, they had to do it over and over and over again because I didn't get it at first. But it brought them life. And I'll be very honest with you, the reason that I'm standing on this stage today, the reason that I do what I do is because these individuals who saw it fit to see any given Sunday as an opportunity to pour into my life, I am eternally grateful for each and every one of them. These are people who had their own jobs, they had their own things, their own stuff, and yet they saw some punk little high school kid as somebody who was worthy to pour into. And God's done the rest. I'm so thankful for these individuals because they saw this is what it means to be a disciple. I invest in people and there's no better place to put my energies than this. I've watched in this church over 15 years that I've been here, I've seen people come to life by the ways they've served. I've watched Jay Collins discover a deep purpose for his life. I've seen Wendy Moody pour herself out into hundreds of young women at this church I've been in awe of Miss Louise Plot at 90 years old who would show up to fifth quarter and fry chicken and then drive herself home at 11 p.m. each and every week. I've seen people take weeks off of work to come be a part of what's happening at Vacation Bible School and spend time with children in this church. There are folks on cameras right now in the back of this room in the booth right behind us who got here at 7 a.m., hours before we ever showed up, to create an experience where we could come and worship God together. And not only here on Sunday morning, but so it could go into hospital rooms and living rooms throughout the week. Maybe on the way in, you shook someone's hand and saw a smile from someone at the guest services area, and it was something that brightened your day. I've seen Brett Rutland, who's willing to fire up a grill and moments notice to serve kids and family at a football game. Kim Atkinson right now is in that room right behind us trying to keep up with me on the computer, clicking every button she possibly can. There are people in this church who don't see Sunday as an event that you come and attend. They see Sunday, they see church as something where they could be a part of somebody's story and make an impact for eternity. And for each of these people, I'm incredibly grateful. And there's a telltale sign that they have within their life, a telltale sign that come from the Ned and Brenda Dickersons, the Vicki Leinigers, the Karen McGarrys, and it looks like this, it's humility. It's a common mentality they hold with one another. It's humility. And this humility is the thing that allows them to see that investing in the lives of people is the greatest work they could do. That being a disciple is not just hearing something, but instead it's doing something, getting off the sidelines and into the game, investing in the lives of people, seeing Sunday as a chance to be a part of somebody's story. This starts with humility. In fact, in the book of Philippians, Paul is writing to the early church. He's trying to express to them, here's what it looks like to live into this new kingdom of God that's flourishing and growing, especially in this place. And he's talking to them about how they relate to one another. In fact, most of these letters in the New Testament have to do with people and how they relate to each other. And so Paul's saying, you cannot miss this. You have to understand this. And in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, here's what Paul says. He says, therefore... If you have, first of all, I want you to count every time you see the word any, A-N-Y, any. Therefore, if you have what? Any encouragement from being united with Christ. If you have any comfort from his love. If you have any common sharing in the spirit. If any tenderness and compassion. How many times is that? Four, right? 
Paul's trying to get across something here. If you have any of these things, then he says this, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to each of you the interests of others. In this passage, Paul is flabbergasted. I mean, he, he's in awe that there are people who would say they have any connection to Jesus and yet they're not treating people with humility. They're, they're lording power over people around them instead of saying, no, no, humble, a humble spirit is what we should have. And humility is kind of simple. It's not just thinking less of yourself. That's not what humility is. It's thinking about yourself less. That's humility. And Paul says, do nothing out of vain ambition or vain conceit but put others ahead of yourself. He is flabbergasted. If you have any relationship with Jesus, if you have any understanding of what's happened here, then make my joy complete by joining me in this act of humility, by putting others first. Good thing this only happened in the, the early church. They had problems with humility. We don't have that anymore today, right? No, of course we do. Of course we do. Uh, humility, I think, is one of the major marks of what a Christian looks like, being humble, but unfortunately, in the church today, as it was then, it's one of the hardest things we wrestle with. In fact, I think it's one of the reasons that we don't see Sunday as an opportunity to invest in the lives of people. Why we don't see any given Sunday as a chance to be a part of somebody's story. We've got our own stuff. And it takes intention to put other people ahead of yourself. This is why Paul can't believe it. If you have any Jesus in you, then make my joy complete by joining me in this humility. And I think the next few verses reveal to us why Paul was having to bring this up. Because the people in Philippi, when they thought about power, when they thought about significance, when they thought about impact, when they thought about a king or a kingdom, they thought about two specific things. They thought about Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great was someone who came along, he was a powerful Greek military leader who conquered the known world through sword and chariot. It was power over. That's what a king and a kingdom looked like. Then you have Augustus Caesar who consolidated the Roman rule through Pax Romana, the peace of Rome by legions of soldiers and warriors. This is what power looked like. This is what a leader looks like. And Paul essentially is saying to them, listen, here's maybe why you've got it wrong. You think this is what power looks like until now. And Paul begins to express in verse five this new way of understanding this. He says in verse five through verse 11, Paul says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being the very nature God, the most powerful thing ever, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness, he came to the earth. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is what? Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Paul says, maybe here's why you've gotten this wrong. Because you think a leader, a king, a kingdom, this kingdom of God looks like Caesar Augustus, looks like Alexander the Great. But let me tell you something. It doesn't look like them. It looks like Jesus Christ. He takes this whole poem from Isaiah in the Old Testament. He locks it right in, verses 5 through 11, and expresses this is what Jesus looks like. 
He's a different kind of king. He's a different kind of ruler, a different kind of Lord. His name is Jesus Christ. Christ is not his last name, by the way. For any of you that thought maybe that was true. It's not like roll call and they're like, oh, John Smith and Susie Johnson and Jesus Christ. That's not how this goes. Christ literally means anointed one or chosen one. And so when Paul says that Jesus is Lord, Jesus Christ is Lord, what he's saying is the emperor, Caesar, he's not. Here's what a real ruler looks like. Here's what a real person in power looks like. It's someone who who doesn't see his equality with God as something to be held on to, but it's something that he lays down. A real ruler, a real king is someone who takes on the form of a servant to serve others and not to have himself be served. He says a real ruler, a real king is someone who's humbled himself all the way to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is what power looks like, Paul says. Power looks like humility. If you're someone who wants to get in the game, if you're someone who wants to make an impact in the lives of people, it doesn't happen by power over. It happens by humility. And the crux of the entire thing happens here in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. This is the crux of the entire passage. It's helpful for us today to understand this because if we want to get into the game, if we be a part of what God's doing, it starts right here in this one verse. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, when Paul said this, in your relationships with one another, have the same what? Mindset as Jesus Christ. The same mindset as Jesus Christ. This is a really interesting Greek word. It's a word that you can't translate directly into English. There's so much to it. There's so much nuance to it. But the word mindset that's translated here is the Greek word phroneo. It literally means inner perspective, a deep understanding, an opinion which fleshes itself out in action. It's a fantastic Greek word. And the reason it's so interesting is because this word is not just about something that you think. A mindset is not something you just think or something you just feel. There's a connection between what's happening deep within us and something that's happening outside of us. A mindset is something that we believe so deeply, that's impacted us so deeply that we cannot help for it to manifest itself externally. That's a mindset. Paul says, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who did not consider his equality with God as something to be grasped. This mindset of Jesus means this, that we don't see our power, our position, our status as something to be exploited. Do you understand me? No matter who we are, if you work in a job, you own a business, or you're the boss, we don't see our status or our position as something to be exploited because Jesus lays it down by coming to earth. This means that there is nothing that is below us. There's nothing that we're not willing to do. During vacation Bible school, when I come here and I see some people sweeping these floors, these are people who have the power to say, I don't do that. But they do, they lay it down. It's humility. The mindset of Christ is such that when we, like him, we consider our position, our power, something that we're willing to lay down because everyone is worth letting go of anything to serve. It's the mindset of Christ. The mindset of Christ is such that we empty ourselves out for the sake of others. There's a reason that we see Jesus wash the feet of his disciples as they walked along dusty roads. There's a reason that we take communion each and every month, the broken body and the shed blood of Christ. You know why? It's an example that we're meant to follow. That we would wash the feet of others. 
who would break our body and shed our blood for the sake of other people. This is the example that we're given by Jesus. The mindset of Christ may mean that it costs us everything. We become living sacrifices, giving our time, our energy, our affection, our resources, because this is what Jesus did. This is the mindset that he had. And when we share that mindset, we can see amazing things happen. And it's this mindset that helps us to begin to see Sunday as not just a, a day of the week. But we see Sunday as a chance to invest in the lives of kids, children, guests who come and worship with us in production and worship in the parking lot as an usher, etc. We don't do it because we don't have anything else to do. We do it because we get to. Because we're a part of what God is doing in the world. You can take this to the bank. When, you, when humility is our habit, then service becomes our reflex. When humility becomes a habit, then service becomes a reflex. Here's what I mean. When you are someone who has the mindset of Christ deep within us, we believe this so deeply that it manifests itself out in the way that we live. When we live this kind of way, when humility is a habit of ours, that when there's an opportunity to serve, we just jump at it. We can't even stop ourselves. It's muscle memory. If you play any sport, you do that motion long enough, eventually it's second nature. You don't have to think about it, you just react. And so when we see some kind of need around us, we ask ourselves, first and foremost, do I have margin to meet this need? Maybe even better, we ask ourselves, can I change some things in my life to have margin to meet this need? Because when humility is our habit, then service is a reflex. You can't stop. There are some people in this church that are so sickening excited about serving. You're like, please, chill out. They can't. Because humility has become a habit of theirs. It's how they live, no matter where they are. It just comes out of them. And so service is the thing they most look forward to because it's a reflex. If there's a need, I will meet that need. Here's the truth this morning. If we can see any given Sunday as an opportunity to invest in the lives of people, if we can see any given Sunday as a chance for us to be a part of someone's story, then here's what I think you'll find. Your small service can have an eternal impact in the lives of people. Your small act of service can have an eternal impact in the lives of people when humility becomes a habit for us. Years ago, we were having Sunday school on a Sunday morning, and I was serving middle school students at the time, and so we had like 60 or 70 middle school students in the gym. Before it was the student room over on this side. It was the worst place on campus to have Sunday school. And we did it for like seven years. Some of y'all were like, yes, because you were there. In that gym, we'd be on the far end. We have little partitions and stuff. We have a sound system set up. But whenever the service got out earlier than us, people would come walking through the back, eating donuts and talking. We're like, please, can you just be quiet? It was the worst place ever for Sunday school. But we did it faithfully. But I'll be honest. I ask myself often in my own head, in my own heart, is this doing anything? Does this mean anything? We have tables with students all around them and these caring adults who took time out of their schedule to come and sit and spend time with these kids. I'm like, am I wasting everybody's time here? But I'll never forget there was this one Sunday. It was like the worst. It was so loud. It was so awful in the room. I was just like, I was hating every minute of it. We got done. I'm like, great. I'm going to Moe's. I'll see y'all later. So we finished up the thing. But before I could leave, one of our adult leaders stood up at his table. He said, listen, this kid right here just told me we were talking and he wants to accept Christ. And my first reaction was like, no, we don't do that at Sunday school. That's like weird. That's not when this happens. But then I realized, wait a minute, God's doing something here. Even though I was over this, God was not. 
And I watched this adult leader say, this kid, this kid wants to become a believer, he wants to follow Jesus. And I was like, okay, cool, um, here's what we're gonna do. So I invited that adult leader to go behind that student and put his hands on his shoulder and begin to pray for him. We led this kid to Christ right there in the middle of Sunday school, in the gym, with donuts in the back and people talking everywhere. I remember watching this adult leader who had showed up who knows how many Sundays in a row to spend time with these boys, always wondering too probably, is this making any difference? And I watched him with his hands on this kid's shoulders, just tears streaming down his cheek. You know why? Because this leader began to find and realize that his small service was having an eternal impact. And this kid, this kid right there in that chair, 18, 20, this is a grown-up adult now, but 20 years later, this kid, when he tells his story, guess who's gonna be a part of that story? That individual. This guy loved me at a table and took care of me and spoke with me. I remember this time in the Sunday school and donuts and talking, and I accepted Christ right there on a Sunday morning. Any given Sunday can be somebody's Sunday. And what this means is this kind of impact, it takes place sometimes around a table with middle school boys, even though it probably shouldn't. It happens. This, this kind of impact takes place while sitting on the floor with children in this building on a Sunday morning it can happen at the guest services area as you're smiling and welcoming a family for the very first time. It happens when I walked into a hospital just a few weeks ago, spent time in a room with a woman who's being treated for cancer. And as I walked in the room, they had called me because they had listened to our messages from Sunday all throughout the night. It was the only thing that got her through. She said, my voice was soothing. They listened to message after message all night long. I came in to pray with them in that room and I can't believe how proud I was of my church. I was proud of my church because there are people who come here so early to sit on a camera, to hit a key on a keyboard. And I'm the one who's wondering, is this making any difference? Does anybody care? And yet in living rooms, in hospital rooms, there are people who are taking this and it's ministering to the lives of people. It's making an impact, an eternal impact even though you may not be able to see it. Your small service can make an eternal impact. You see, when you serve people, you don't just serve people, you serve the eternal God. Because the way you treat creation is a reflection of how you feel about the creator. And when we serve, it makes a huge difference around tables, on the floor, in the parking lot, in the pew, and down the hall. Secondly, if we can see any given Sunday as a chance to invest in people, your act of humility can awaken you to what really, really matters. There are some of us here this morning who give so much energy, time, affection, resources to things that in the end don't really matter. My question is, what would happen if we were to, to change our perspective a bit and begin to invest in new things? Maybe the things of God, eternal things, people, we might discover a purpose that we were trying to find in our job. We might find a purpose that we were trying to find in fantasy football. We might find a purpose that goes beyond anything we've ever even thought about having because we're investing in people. And even though it seems like such a drudgery sometimes, this is making any difference, we will come to find out that God is always working because any given Sunday, you could be a part of someone's story. You make a difference in the lives of someone. Friday, I was sitting in my office working on this message. And an individual from our church walked in and sat down in my office. He had to come get something from me. And 
we just started a conversation. He began to tell me, totally unsolicited, no idea what I was working on. He's like, listen, you don't know what my serving in student ministry has meant to me. It's changed me. It's, it's absolutely changed me. And he began to tell me, I'm even thinking about like quitting my job. Maybe I should go into ministry and do this thing. But then he said, God told me though, no, you stay right where you are. You're doing exactly what you should be doing. You take care of your family. You work this job and then you come and pour yourself out for students. I walked away from that office Friday morning, so proud of my church. People who don't see church as just something that you go to and watch and just attend, but church being something that we actually do because we are the church. So what would happen in your life? What could you awaken to if your willingness to be a small group leader for kids on Sunday morning, facilitate a group of middle school students, shake hands and greet somebody, run a camera, sing in the choir, run a computer, whatever it might be, what kind of purpose could you possibly find there? Something you've been looking for maybe for a long time. So here's the truth. I can't do this for you. The church can't do this for you. At the heart of everything Jesus says is an invitation that we can respond to. So this morning, I want to give you two very specific ways that you can respond today. If God's doing something in your heart, here's two things you can do. Number one, maybe you've never made the decision to follow Jesus in the first place. Today, the invitation is extended once again. Come, follow me. Come, follow Jesus. And maybe two, you've been here for a long time. You've been a part of church for a long time, but you've been coming and observing and you want to get in the game. Then today, ask God, God, show me the opportunity. Lay it before me and I'll do it in humility and obedience. As you leave this room this morning, there's a table set up between this building and the East Building. On that table are some cards of different opportunities to serve on a Sunday morning. If God's doing something within you, I'd love for you to go out there, have a conversation and see, is there a place I can get plugged in? We also have ice cream out there for you. So we are bribing you. But if you're willing out to come out and have a conversation with us and look at some opportunities to serve, we would love to put some ice cream in your hand. Have a Sunday on Sunday. Get it? That's cute, right? So let's pray together. Would you join me? Father God, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for the opportunity you give us to be a part of what's happening here at this church. Thank you for the ways you're working in our community through many different churches, God. Would you pour out your spirit on every church, God? May people in Lexington in this area begin to wake up to the things that really actually matter. And I pray, Father, you help us to see that our little bit of active servants, our little bit of obedience can make a difference in the lives of somebody because any given Sunday, we can be a part of someone's story. It's in your name we pray, amen.